Welcome to another episode of Impact. I'm your host, Sam Iniguez, the Director of Communications for Merced Union High School District. In this episode, I have a conversation with Director Torin Johnson, who heads up the district's Instruction, Intervention, and Innovation Department, and Andre Griggs, who is the CEO of Restorative Justice League. We talk about the district's work to find alternative disciplines for students that help keep them in school. Restorative justice has been growing in popularity over the years, and in fact, MUHSD had started working with Mr. Griggs prior to the pandemic. Now that things have subsided, the work to implement facets of restorative justice has restarted in earnest with the shared goal of improving campus climate and safety, lessening suspension and expulsion rates, as well as chipping away at the school-to-prison pipeline. Please enjoy this episode of Impact, and as always, thank you for listening. Joining us on the show today, we have Mr. Torin Johnson. He is the district's director of instruction, intervention, and innovation. And we also have Mr. Andre Griggs. He's the founder and CEO of Restorative Justice League. Um, and we're here to talk about uh, restorative justice and the work that the district is doing with uh, Mr. Griggs's uh, organization. Uh, thank you both for uh, joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having us. Cool. All right. Um, so first of all, uh, let's talk about uh, your experience with uh, restorative justice. Um, Mr. Johnson, I know that you did some work over there at Atwater High when you were principal over there. So talk a little bit about your, your experience with restorative justice. Well, I, I would say we did more uh, restorative practices at, mm -hmm. at Atwater. You know, I had, I had just come from Yosemite High School, our continuation school, um, where we worked really hard on not suspending kids. And so um, when I took the helmet at Water, I wanted to kind of bring that philosophy over there. And, um, you know, the idea is when I talked to my student support APs, I was like, look, you guys know me, but you haven't worked with me as a principal. And, and, and there's one thing that I don't like, and that's sending kids home. Hmm. You know, um, sending a kid home to eat Cheetos and, and play, you know, video games, I, I don't think really does anything to um, make them think about, right. you know, kind of the behavior that may have gotten them in this situation. Yeah. And parents don't want them at home because there's no supervision. So what we did is we, um, we went to Safe and Civil Schools in Oregon. Um, learned about tier one, tier two, and tier three. We had um, experience with Julius Lockett uh, and his restorative justice program, UE 101. And, um, and then lastly, I just told him, I said, look, um, if suspension is not an option, what are you gonna do with this kid? Because it's not, you know? I mean, there's certain things the state says you have to do when a kid, you know, does something and, and we'll do that, but we're not gonna arbitrarily just apply zero tolerance policies um, across the board. So the goal is no suspensions, but then that forces you to come up with different things. Sure. And I, I think if you take exclusionary discipline off the table, everybody understands that you have to employ, number one, the use of relationships. You have to employ the use of contacting home to find out if something else is going on. It forces you to look at data on the kid. You got to dig into the CUM file because, you know, maybe there's a history of something and somebody else has solved it and it's just resurfaced here at high school. Maybe there's something you do. So what it forces you to do is look at anything else other than calling the parent and say you're going home. And, and what that did for us at Atwater High School was, was awesome. Now, I would say that, you know, that year, I think we got below 1% suspension rate uh, my last year there. 
And um, that was a testament to my APs who did very hard work and a testament to the teachers in the classroom, mm -hmm. because that's, you know, that's the, that's usually the point of contention is, is, is during instruction and what's going on there. And um, the teachers at Atwater, I mean, who already cared tremendously about kids, but I mean, they, they, they went headfirst into, okay, so we may not send a kid all the way to the IC, but we're going to put him outside maybe for a few seconds and then go outside and have a conversation with him about what's going on. Mm. And um, they, they just, man, they embraced the idea. And I, I really couldn't um, have done, you know, you know, what I did there without the people, you know, that, that had boots on the ground with the kids. Sure. Yeah. And it does take, um, I was doing a little research before our interview here and, and it does take um, resources. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes um, funding. You have to be all in on this um, in order, in order for it to work from what I understand. And so uh, Mr. Griggs, uh, tell me about your, your organization, uh, your background and how you, uh, what led you to create this organization? Well, um, well, thank you for uh, first the opportunity of being here. Definitely appreciate uh, this opportunity to share the work that I do and then uh, the work that we're doing uh, yeah. in collaboration with uh, Merchant High School uh, District. Um, definitely, um, well, basically, well, I my work is, to be honest with you, it's uh, not something that just came about, it's something that I experienced uh, based off of uh, my life experience and um, living in Portland, Oregon at the time before gentrification and uh, involved with uh, gangs and the things in my community and uh, experiencing uh, uh, things in school that pushed out a lot of students, uh, uh, experience things in the community with uh, policing and such as that. So my experience kind of drove me into this work that I uh, do and um, uh, someone getting in my way and uh, showing me something of myself that I did not see in myself, uh, which uh, definitely, um, my experiences allowed me to uh, see a different perspective on life um, and a different perspective on uh, what I do have to offer for um, people and, and youth that I work with. So I was determined to get out of the environment, get out of the gangs, get out of the city and go to school uh, and go to university. So I ended up in California. I'm originally from Portland, Oregon born and raised and uh, ended up in California playing football with uh, Fresno State and graduating out of Fresno State uh, with a criminology corrections degree. And so again, working into the system. And so I was able to experience uh, uh, the juvenile hall system in Merced County at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't like the situation. I didn't like uh, what was being done. And I knew that there was more to be done. And uh, my wife at the time was in education. And so she kept driving me. You need to come to education. You need to come to education. That's where you can get the kids. And so I finally, uh, um, I went into uh, alcohol and drug prevention. Again, things that uh, uh, positions and jobs and work uh, um, experience that kind of kept me in this type of uh, uh, system where I was really building up to um, something that I feel uh, uh, good about. I feel uh, that self-gratification in regards to working with the students in the restorative justice uh, world. And so I um, went into education, I'm a master's in education, and then went into 
working in after school programs. And so that was really kind of the, uh, the, the, the stepping stone in the after school programs to really look at the school systems from within out and seeing the different things that's needed for students uh, to really pull things together and, and um, uh, again, stay in school, um, uh, build relationships. And so uh, I was in Houston High School and I uh, developed a program, a peer-to-peer -peer mentoring program. So that was kind of the first peer-to-peer -peer kind of thing that I did um, with students, working with students and supporting more academic and mentoring um, and not so much uh, anything restorative practice because it wasn't really introduced to us yet in California. And so when I came to Lee Grand High School, uh, I ended up moving uh, just, just because the uh, work time was too far. So I came to Lee Grand High School and so really saw uh, what Lee Grand and Planada was um, all about in uh, a lot of gangs at the time, North Daniels, San Daniels, and so there was a big thing happening. And it really affected the high school. The high school was really trying to be uh, that safe haven, but it was a difficult task. And so at the time, uh, myself and uh, uh, the principal at the time, uh, uh, Mr. Martinez uh, was uh, looking for a program that could work for the high school. And so uh, the California Endowment introduced restorative uh, justice to the schools through the uh, disciplinary discipline that restores program um, out of University of Pacific um, with uh, Ron and Roxanne Clausen. And so they uh, came to train. Um, and so in basically we went through the training um, and it was really good. It, it was with 12, uh, well, a small group of teachers that kind of went through the training and um, we figured we needed an alternative. So this was the best thing. And it was the right timing when it was introduced to the, uh, uh, to the high school. Uh, with the blessing um, of uh, Miss Allie to uh, push push this forward for our kids. And so uh, we went through the training and uh, what I noticed with this training, again, doing the peer-to-peer uh, -peer mentoring, I, I, I noticed that there was not a student component. There wasn't a youth component. So um, at the same time, the teachers that were trained kind of saw that and they felt a lot of pushback. And so they had a meeting and um, they called me in and asked me, uh, is there any ideas to help us really roll this out and get uh, buy-in because a lot of teachers aren't buying in and students aren't buying in. Of course, it's a new program. It's another thing on their plate. And so, but it's something that we saw at the time that could really make a difference uh, for, the, uh, for the campus. And so I suggested, you know, well, I see that there is no peer uh, really uh, uh, space for these for the kids to be a part of it or have a voice. So if I can get some kids and uh, the avid teacher said, I, I got 12 seniors, uh, they have, they're available seventh period, go ahead and take them. And so I picked up those kids and all year it was blood, sweat and tears. I don't know about the blood part, but the sweat and the tears part, that was real. <laughs> Uh, went through the program and really develop to develop something that that they can take ownership uh, of and and feel that they have a a, a place at the table uh, and a voice and so developing uh, this uh, curriculum that they can uh, be engaged in and also uh, again 
be uh, at the table to make decisions. And so we went through it successfully, uh, but really nothing happened that year. We were just more developing it. Um, and so at the end of the year, there was uh, two students that uh, cheated on the tests and the avid teacher uh, was the, uh, uh, was it was in his class and he was kind of the gateway to the seniors of graduating. And so he had the, the uh, whole senior class retake the test. And so a lot of kids were very upset, especially my, my, uh, my students that I was working with, because it was also, you know, their teacher as well. And they were all good students at the time, you know, so they felt it was un unfair to have to retake the test. So what ended up happening is that um, they were venting and it was lunchtime and I was hungry. And so uh, I told the students, I said, you know what, we went through this process of going through uh, history, going through uh, civil rights, going through uh, uh, social justice, going through developing something that's going to provide a, a space at the table so you can have a voice. And either we can complain about it or now we can do something about it. So I took the pen, put it on the whiteboard and I went to lunch. And so um, I didn't know what to expect when I came back, uh, the counselor ran into me and said, you need to go to your class because your students are in there. I'm like, oh gosh, what did they do? So <laughs> I was kind of worried. And so I ended up going to the class and they were just ecstatic. I mean, they were so happy and, and excited and even other students were in there. I'm like, what, what happened? And they said, well, Mr. Grace, guess what happened? And I said, well, I want to know what's going on. And they said, well, we developed um, a, um, a restorative disciplinary process to this situation that happened with the seniors. And so I said, okay, well, let me know what happens. And she, they said, well, we met with uh, Ms. Martinez, we met with our average teacher, we met with Ms. Ali, and we had a, a negotiated, uh, because the, the students knew who, who they were and, and then you know the, the names were given up in regards of what happened. But what they did is they developed a, um, a restorative process on cheating in class. And because it wasn't fair that everyone had to be uh, punished for that situation. And so they negotiated agreement where those students will not be involved in some of the uh, school activities. They wrote apology letter to the rest of the uh, rest of the senior class. Um, and uh, they I think they had a chance to walk at the time. Uh, but they they retook the test and not the rest of the senior class. And so that was our first really uh, big thing that happened that really uh, uh, launched uh, the uh, Restorative Justice League uh, at, at, um, at uh, Lee Grand High School. And then after that, it just started to become bigger and bigger. Uh, the next year we uh, introduced the conference and the conference, uh, we uh, did it for the students, middle school students um, at, uh, uh, at Cesar E. Chavez um, in the uh, middle school students locally and freshmen, um, we did a conference and that was our first restorative justice league conference on campus and it was a success. And so we, that, that helped really impact culture and climate, which uh, began rolling out um, uh, uh, recruiting students, uh, developing students to be a part of the uh, restorative process. We developed a, 
a uh, uh, a uh, what we call a uh, a panel, but it's not a uh, like a a youth a youth court side panel, but it's a restorative uh, panel where students go to their peers and they go through a restorative process to be able to uh, uh, repair the harm or restore uh, um, whatever um, violation they did at, at school and go through that process and follow up um, with mentors, with the students that were on the board, uh, which they checked in with teachers and then they came back and followed up uh, with us on, on, the, um, uh, on all the agreements, their agreements being met and followed through. And then we also, after that, began to develop the circle process because more students wanted to get involved. There was referrals or even the other students referred other students um, to get the support that uh, the Restorative Justice League was offering for, for students. And so we developed the circle process, which began the dialogue um, and finding out the inherited disparities of students on campus and the needs that needs to be met outside of school, outside of the classroom and outside of uh, um, what their everyday activities are and to uh, connect them with outside support. And so we were able to bring outside support to meet those needs, family needs, um, uh, needs uh, 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 within school, as far as with the students. And so we were able to make those connections and then also building the relationships with uh, teacher and students. So we had uh, mediations with teachers and students to uh, provide some type of alternative that they can uh, that how they can get along and coexist and work together on campus. And so this really began an impact to start really changing culture and climate. So by the third year, uh, suspension and expulsion rate dropped ninety percent um, from which it, from where it was before it was. It was high for for that type of school for that setting, and uh, it was a consistent every year from the from the even the time I left. And so that's kind of really what started the ball rolling uh, to develop the restorative justice. And then I went into the uh, Merced County to roll it out, and I had a uh, a um, an injury, old football injury, that came around and haunted me, and so I had to get a knee replacement. And so I uh, got a partial knee replacement and I had to get another one because it wasn't uh, setting in. And so I had to get a full knee replacement. And at that time I was out for two years and it really dawned on me that I really wanted to do more than just being out of sight. And uh, um, with, with this type of program, this program is for uh, all schools, for all youth um, to develop, you know, those relationships and um, uh, really dismantle what we, what we call the school, the prison pipeline, where a lot of students have been dropping out or not getting the support that they need or, or uh, um, finding that, that space that they can uh, uh, find a safe haven at the school. And so um, that's when I really started to develop the, uh, the organization as a nonprofit. And so uh, during the time I was uh, laid up for for the two years um, uh, because of this knee replacement. And so uh, getting it out was kind of like, okay, well, where do I start? And not knowing that it was already being developed because of what we did at Lee Grant High School and the stuff that we uh, did in the community while I was at um, uh, uh, MCOE 
what we did at the continuation school there with, with doing conferences successfully with all the continuation schools being a part of that process when they said it wasn't going to happen because you have the, the differences of gangs and the uh, uh, territories and whatnot. And it did. We were able to to uh, pull that off. And so uh, what what we really saw was these kids need uh, something to connect to. You know, I remember having to connect to a gang because I, I didn't have that connection at school. Home was 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 difficult at the time. And so knowing that these kids just need to connect to something that they can be a part of and feel good about, um, this was, we knew that this was, um, this meet, this meted that need, uh, this really met the need that, uh, that, that was needed for these kids to, to gravitate to. And now kids have gone through the program from sixth grade and now they're in college. We, are, uh, we have kids uh, that are married, uh, so we call them alumni and they come back and they invest back into the program through the conferences. They come back and they work the conferences, they volunteer and they work the conferences, or they'll come back and support uh, some of the work in the community or the school. So um, it's, it's really become a movement more than anything. Um, I, I call this, those students agents of change. Um, and it starts within out. And so this is a program that is from within out. Restorative justice in, is intrinsic. You know, it's about building relationships and, and supporting one another and um, uh, bringing everybody involved, regardless of the situation or what happened. But it's about to repair harm. It's about repairing harm and having that conversation because yeah. most of the time we don't know um, how things started. It just happens. So we react. But once we're able to find out what's the root of the problem, then we can come to, to some solutions, some agreements on how to work together and make sure that this doesn't happen again in the future. So that's pretty much kind of the uh, condensed version of everything. Well, that's the condensed version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad we were able to get your story out there. Cause it's a, it's a very, it's an awesome story. Um, and thank you for the work that you're doing. And, and I'm happy that we're working with you. Um, so, and, and I'll let um, either of you can answer these questions. So just feel free to, to jump in, uh, Mr. Johnson. But I want to talk about some of the things you've already discussed, but maybe get a little deeper into, um, you know, because we talk about restorative justice, but what exactly does that look like in a classroom setting? You know, you mentioned the, the sharing circles. I know that's a big part of it. And then the tiers. So can you just go ahead and describe what we're working working towards um, and either of you can, can, can talk. Well, from, from um, I mean, this is early work. We're in the emerging stages. I mean, we just, sure. we, we just brought Andre in and um, spent the last month um, training the student support associate principals, the ones that deal with discipline, you know, every day. And so my purpose in bringing Andre in, and, and I've been trying to work with Andre, you know, for a while, we, we I mean, he came to my office you know, right before the pandemic hit, you know, when we were getting ready to get started and then it just wiped us out for a couple of years. So I'm glad we were able to reconnect. Um, but my ultimate goal is to provide tools and resources for the people who deal with kids around misbehavior mm. and, and help shift their mindset on exactly what Andre said. You know, it's about repairing the harm. It's about building a relationship. It's about, it's about affording the kid the opportunity 
to look at the situation that they were involved in from somebody else's perspective. You know, kids are kids. Everything, you know, I, I'm the focus of the world. So therefore, whatever happens, happens, you know. Um, but the idea is, you know, whatever happens, how did that other person feel? You know, what have you thought about since then? You know, it's those restorative questions that, number one, shows the kid that this isn't the normal discipline route. This isn't, okay, so you got into an argument. The discipline matrix says argument. This is your third argument. Okay, you got three detentions and, and one Saturday school. You know, it's, it's, it's about going deeper than that because yeah. sometimes behavior, um, even the kid might not know why, why they do the behavior. And we don't give them the time for reflection. We don't take a time out and say, okay, look, what, what, what's going on here? You know, what were you thinking at the time? How do you think that other person feels? You know, how would your parents feel about that? I mean, if you had a child, would you want your child doing that? And most of all, how can we make this right? Hmm. Right? There's, I, I like restorative justice because it doesn't say that there should be no consequences, right? right. There's going to be consequences for behavior. But we need to approach it from the idea of we are trying to build a relationship with this kid. We need this kid to understand that whatever relationship they had with the other person, if they're just two humans, if they're just two human relationships, something has to be repaired there. We can't just let that go. And I think it's an awesome lesson for kids to learn while they're young. Mm -hmm. these, are these are certain things. It almost goes off into the social emotional learning type thing. Yeah. Um, these are perspectives and lessons and tools that the kids need to be functioning adults. You know, we've got them for a short four years. And while we have a heck of a lot of content to teach them, we also need to teach them about looking at something that has happened from somebody else's perspective and then kind of, you know, figuring out from there, how are we going to make this okay? Yeah. So I, I want the social principals to have those tools. And in turn, I want them to teach those tools to the kids because I think it's wholly important. Yeah, and this sounds like uh, it obviously jives with our, our the district's movement towards teaching the whole child. Um, you know, and for those who aren't in education, um, can you just kind of uh, talk about what that means uh, and how that difference may differ from how things were done in the past? Well, it's, it's, it's along the same lines of what we we're talking about. It, helping kids along their journey to young adulthood is more than just content. It's more than just, you know, the three R's. Mm, yeah. It's got, it's got to be about making good choices. It's got about being, uh, it's got to be about having self-efficacy. You know, it's got to be about ethics and, and morals. School is, is way more than that. Mm -hmm. And we need as many tools as we possibly can to teach a, a lot or all the aspects a kid needs to know before they hit that graduation stage and go out into the world. So teaching the whole child is, is about, um, it's about creating creating a picture for them and helping them understand how all the pieces fit together. From why do I need to be on time to why do I gotta do my homework to why I shouldn't confront somebody, why we shouldn't get into a fight, how to, um, how to, uh, what I like, um, one thing that Andre has is, um, it's kind of, it's a peacemaking. It's what we call mediation, um, but, but he has a, a, a peacemaking uh, protocol that, that I really like because it digs in. 
to the situation. You know, normally as educators, we do mediation. Okay, you guys come in. What happened? What happened? All right, apologize. Everybody good? We're not gonna do that anymore? Okay, go back to class. You know, but that's not the process when we talk about doing it, you know, restoratively. It's totally different. And, 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 and one of the resources that, that, um, that is needed for restorative justice is time. It does take time. Yeah. To 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 break down a kid's effective filter, to have them calm down in the moment, uh, you know, to realize what they had done, and to also get to a space where we are going to bring the other kid in the room, and we're going to talk about this, and we're going to make some agreements, and we're going to sign a piece of paper, right? And um, we're going to make that real for them. So that's, in my opinion, whole child. That's what we're talking about. Um, Go ahead, okay. Mr. Griggs. If I can just touch on that too, as well yeah. as well said, uh, well said, because that's you know that's the uh, that's the vision of really what restorative justice is. When you talk about the whole child, it goes back to the old proverb that you know we we teach in circles that it takes a community uh, or it takes a village to raise a child, and so that village that means everyone has a part in that village, even the child, and so what we are is that we are the village we are the village of today the school is the village the uh, uh the family is the village and everyone that's a part of um that to support that that whole child and also that child's voice is part of the village and so the goal is to bring everyone collectively and collaboratively to come together and have equal attention uh to meet those community needs uh, to meet uh, the harm that was done, uh, to be able to know that there is an agreement and there is a follow-up to that agreement to make sure that everything is met and to know that we're here to support that because we want to see you be successful. We wanna, don't want to see the status quo, quo of dropping out, going to the next school, being suspended, uh, being expelled, and you know all those steps that we already know that we've done over and over again and the same results. And so we want to provide something that is different, that is new. It is something that we're not used to. And it does take time, but with consistency, with everyone working together, with everyone uh, coming together as a team to be a part of this process, you will, uh, you will see the end results. And the results is that Students will take ownership. Uh, better relations will be built on campus. A lot of um, uh, intervention will be decreased, meaning putting out those fires. And a lot of prevention will begin to happen on campus to uh, uh, stop those things uh, uh, from getting bigger, uh, those things that are negative that will hurt the student from getting bigger. Um, it will develop something that's going to really, when we talk about culture and climate, climate, it, it's going to impact and change the culture. I had a, a presentation with students today about um, the N-word being used and how negative that is because it's used a lot on campus. And at the end, we talked about um, that the only way you're going to impact it is impact and change uh, the situation around you is to change yourself. It starts within you and you have to make a choice. But what's going to help you make that choice is everyone that's here who's also a part of that choice and a part of that 
now let's create that change. And if you have enough voices, it's going to get large enough on campus where everyone is going to, to eventually go that way and begin to see the difference and how that's going to create uh, um, uh, this uh, new way of, of, of uh, communication opposed to this negative way of communication. It's going to turn into something positive. Uh, and not only that, it's going to uh, give them an opportunity to see what they really want on campus. Kids don't want to be berated. They don't want to be bullied. They don't want to uh, um, be called racial slurs. All these things that we think is normal, it's not. And so we have to recondition. So this process is a reconditioning of the mindset and the way we act, we, we communicate, and the way we treat each other, where it is, again, going to eventually get to the place where we want to see where our school is uh, thriving now and not in, in the red all the time. Yeah. So that's where this process really, you know, you talk about the end goal and where we really want to be, but it's going to take these steps uh, uh, to get there. And it's, and it's, it is a, a, a for teachers, again, that change because you're giving power, some power over to the students. Mm -hmm but it's collaborative power. You're not giving away everything. You're just giving the student now the opportunity to take ownership, to know what they did wrong and correct it. That's something that is a normal thing that we all want. Uh, that power to have is a chance to correct our mistakes. We make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And we have to show these kids that we make mistakes, you make mistakes. So let's come together and fix this. Let's make this right. And let's make sure that you have the tools so these things won't happen again. And so again, it's providing those pieces that's going to support that, uh, that shift, that change. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. Next month marks the return of the popular parent workshop series on the Nurtured Heart Approach. Nurtured Heart is a methodology that ties in well with the district's social-emotional learning efforts and that the skills that are developed help teachers and site administration build healthy relationships with students by A, realizing the greatness that exists within them, and B, getting the students to see that greatness themselves. And the thing about Nurtured Heart is that the same skills that work in the classroom also work at home. So if you're looking for a way to better connect with your teenage child, this is perfect for you. Find out why participants of previous workshops continue to return by attending one in March. All sessions are available in English and Spanish and will be held online via Zoom. A link to the dates as well as the registration form can be found on our website, muhsd.org. Back to the show. So I'm hearing that uh, a lot of, um, uh, I guess the component, there's, a, there's definitely a reactive component. Can you talk a little bit more about the proactive component? Um, you know, some of the preventions, I guess that would maybe be the tier one aspect. Mm -hmm. So uh, the tier one for, uh, for uh, restorative justice is the uh, building community circle. You wanna build a space uh, where just kids feel safe. They feel that they can share um, where the, the teacher can even feel comfortable to be um, uh, themselves as well in a, in a sense where students uh, are seeing a different perspective from the teacher. The teacher's funny, you know, oh, the teacher, you know, used to break dance, man, that's cool. You know, so those conversations and you're building that where the kids 
build an expectation. Now they want to be a part of this community. Now they want to be a part of the circle. Now they want to share. And so, and so in that, in that community, you have a, a, what we call a check-in and, and, and a check-out at the beginning of the circle and at the end of the circle, just to gauge where the kids are when they start, to know where they're at and to know how you can interact with them throughout the day. So there is a level of understanding and respect even throughout the day, but you get that from that circle. You get that from that community uh, that you build. And so that is one of the preventative things that uh, that is a positive prevention is just to create a, a space of dialogue through your community circle and get to get to know each other, do activities, things that are fun. So there's an expectation to have that. And then other things is um, uh, having a, what we call a uh, respect agreement or a mutual agreement with students and staff in regards of how their class is going to run for the, for the year. And so that is a mutual agreement where they all come with ideas on how they wanna be respected in class. How do students wanna respect students? What does that look like? And let's agree on that and make some, some, some agreements on the board. How does student respect uh, teachers? Make some agreements. And we all come together with those ideas. How does teachers respect students and how do students respect facility? And so that's part of that community where they all come in and they can take ownership because that's their idea. And so they are going to believe that and back that. And they're going to correct their fellow student because they don't want to feel disrespected by something that they uh, had an idea on that is part of those agreements. And so that is also a preventative um, tool that can be used uh, throughout the year. And so these other things that, you know, uh, that we offer is, is also the, co the conference. The conference is a, is a huge preventative tool because conference impacts culture. Uh, conference uh, builds relationships. It gets students to, to come together with other students that they probably never even hung around with. And they're getting to know each other. And so, they're, so what they're building is this, um, this um, uh, again, this, this kind of shift where when they go back into the classroom throughout their day, they have a little level, more level of respect with each other because of what they've been through within this conference, the dialogues, the, the um, stories that they heard, um, the activities that they did together. And so they, it's a level of trust, it's a level of uh, 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 mentoring each other. And so they carry that throughout the year. And so it, it really impacts um, uh, the culture and they, they were all part of it. And so uh, there, there's an inclusion in that. They feel good about that. And so they keep that standard throughout the year. So that's another process that we utilize to really uh, sustain that, that, uh, that preventative pendulum and be on that end more than, in, than, than the intervention and reaction. Well, I, I love that. Um, yeah, you build that community. Um, you build that trust and, and you, you, you develop that uh, community of respect amongst one another. So they are less inclined to um, harm, you know, uh, another person who's they have, have respect for now because they've gone through, well, like you said, <laughs> it takes time, but they put in the time. Um, so I, I love that. Um, Mr. Johnson, so with any new program, I mean, obviously, we're, there's, there's always going to want to be, we're always going to want to measure results. So what would 
What would some of the signs be uh, that restorative justice is is working at, at MUHSD? I would I would say um, recidivism. Uh, you know, less repeat offenders because you know the thing about restorative justice and and thank you, Andre, because what what he just said about restorative justice matches what we're trying to do with student-centered learning, right? Yeah. For student-centered learning, we want students to take ownership and lead their learning in an active role, right? Um, and in order to do anything in a school in terms of like project-based learning or universal design for learning or any pedagogical strategy, you have to learn how to manage conflict. And that's what restorative justice teaches you. And I mean, everybody needs to understand how to manage conflict and, and, and build relationships. So, and restorative justice and school in general gives kids the opportunity to practice these things in the moment, especially when it comes to discipline, it's in the moment. But even in the, even in the classroom, if somebody's gonna you know, do cooperative learning and you're gonna be in a group with somebody else, you have to A, <laughs> learn to see from their perspective because you're in a group and B, we're human beings. We're not always going to agree. We're not always going to get along. Mm -hmm. But how do you manage that conflict is paramount for um, uh, an adolescent's life. And, and as they move forward, you have to learn those skills because if you don't, then life becomes very hard for you. It really does. And restorative justice, especially in the moment of conflict, um, using the strategies to help the kid reflect, man, it, it can be extremely powerful. And I really like the idea, you know, I, I've, I've floated the idea to principals or to associate principals about um, doing circles on, during Saturday school. You know, if a kid misbehaves and, and they have to have a consequence, well, you know, why don't we have Andre show up on, on Saturday with a group of kids who have run afoul of, of the rules and, and get into a circle and, and, and discuss and learn about themselves. And, and reflect on, on their behavior and what they can do moving forward. Because you know the reality is your 12th grade year on June 7th, you're gonna be out in the world. And you know, I, you're, you're gonna need some of those skills, all those SEL skills, all the restorative justice skills, all, you're gonna need all of those to be successful. And I, I think it's a great opportunity um, while they're still in school to kind of build these, you know, restorative muscles to learn how to manage conflict and repair harm and, and build relationships. So um, it's, it's great that, you know, everything's kind of aligning, right? We yeah. know what kids need and restorative justice is, is one of those components um, that, that kids may need if they're tier two kids, you know, obviously tier one, two, but that's school-wide. Mm -hmm. And um, we're, we're not quite there yet. Right now we're starting with kids who who push up to tier two based on behavior. Let's, let's reinforce what happened in tier one, which means um, sites are all teaching SEL lessons, right? Mm -hmm. So tier two should kind of reinforce what those lessons say and address the behavior all the while helping them see from multiple perspectives. Nice. I mean, it sounds like you're, like you're angling for, for a fifth C uh, conflict resolution, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's definitely a biggie. Definitely a big. If you can't manage that one, you're, you're going to have some issues later on in life. That's interesting. Okay. All right. So um, let's see. So this takes buy-in from all parties involved. What's the um, protocol if you have a student 
who, uh, I mean, accountability is also important. What's the protocol for a student who doesn't, uh, will not take responsibility for their actions? How do you, um, how do you deal with that situation? Is that a question for me or Andre? Either one. <laughs> well, it, it, no matter what you do in school, you, you have to build a relationship with a kid. A kid's not going to just listen to you because you got a tie on or because you know, you're in an office. That, that's not going to happen. So uh, number one, you have to build a relationship with that kid in order to get him to a space where he may say, you know what? Yeah, that was, that was all me. Mm -hmm. um, but from my perspective, relationship is always number one. Mm -hmm. When you have that relationship, you can push kids, you know, you can, especially in the classroom, you can push the level of rigor um, if they're with you and they know you care about them. And, and I think, you know, restorative justice has, um, you know, this, these dialogue questions that you ask when, when a kid is in trouble. And, and the questions are such that it truly elicits um, deeper feelings from the kids. It, it really goes beyond what did you do? Here's what you got. Thanks for stopping by the office. It, it, it really gets, I think it kind of gets at the function of behavior. And I hate to use psychological terms because all the psychologists and the student support managers go to that's not your scope. And it's really not. But I can see with restorative justice, it tries to get to the why. Why did this happen? Why did you do this? And, and if you don't understand why you didn't do that, then we kind of have a bigger problem. And, and at least we realize that this kid may need to be referred back to the counselor um, or somewhere else for, for a little, little deeper help than, than um, we cover in our scope uh, as administrators. So. Um, I like that aspect because yeah. a lot of times we, we don't do that and kids can feel and see that they can feel and see if I'm, if I'm checkboxing them, right. Mm -hmm. As opposed to truly caring about them and what's going on with them. Yeah, I get that. So um, I guess the answer to my question is restorative justice would, would make it so that you don't get to that point where the student doesn't take accountability or, or responsibility for their actions because you have built that community of respect and trust and accountability already. Yeah, and, and, and if we were doing restorative justice from top to bottom, then yes, that would work for us as a tier one. Um, right now, bringing Andre in, he, he's dealing with the tier two specialists. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the behavior has already occurred. So we have to take the time and yeah. use skill. You know, it's not, Andre's good at it, but Andre's been doing it, you know, for a while. Yeah. We just started taking a, uh, taking a look at this. So it's going to take some practice and it's going to take some time. Um, but but in, in talking to all the principals about the restorative dialogue, they, they all really loved it. And, and once you see it, you go, yeah, we don't, that's a different way of dealing with, with a student because normally we deal with them discipline, consequences. This is, this is about, and, and students truly feel when you do discipline, you're doing it to them. You did this, this is what you get. Mm -hmm. Restorative justice is about, we're gonna, we're gonna do this with you. We're gonna work together on this. I'm not doing anything to you. So, you know, what, you know it's like, well, Sam, what, why do you, what consequence do you think um, by, by throwing that pencil? And tell me why, yeah. you know, how can you repair that harm? Because there was harm done here, Samuel, by you throwing that pencil. You know, what can you do to make it right? Well, I don't know. Well, I'm gonna give you some time. Talk to your friends, do whatever. Come back to me at lunchtime. We're going to revisit this, but I need to make you think about this. 
And that's different than looking at a discipline matrix and meeting out consequences. Definitely. Um, I just want to talk about one more thing, and it was touched on earlier, the school to prison pipeline and how this is a tool that could possibly um, you know, lead to breaking that up um, here in the district. Um, I mean, it's no secret. Studies show that you know, the old method of, of the punishment and suspension that, that was found to disproportionately punish students of color. And so, um, you know, which leads to them having a negative outlook towards school and then possibly dropping out, getting in trouble and so on. So uh, talk a little bit about that and how this, uh, how restorative justice aims to kind of break that, that pipeline up. Well, well, with this pipeline, I mean, we see um, a, a trend that was really stemmed from the no tolerance uh, back in the 90s. And, um, and, and again, that would, because of those policies and procedures that's been uh, uh, not rethought re or changed uh, has really caused this snowball effect of, of uh, students being pushed out and, and uh, specifically uh, minority students um, disproportionately, as you said. And so uh, one of the things is um, to really attack that or look at that is uh, look at looking at how to shift policy and provide and uh, an implement a restorative disciplinary policy system where restorative uh, justice is first opposed to punitive. Um, and I can say that uh, that's possible because we did that at when we were at the Grand High School was develop a restorative process um, and looked at all the policies that were um, in place that were disciplined and punitive, all of them were. And so we looked at how to reshift that to uh, create a restorative process. And we want to go to restorative process, uh, looking at those tiers, tier one, two, and three, and making sure that we exhaust everything before we go into the punitive, but still give the student a choice uh, to go through the process, um, or they will get, you know, go to the punitive if they choose to not go through the restorative process. The restorative process is a chance um, to make right, reconciliate, repair, um, and, uh, uh, and, and change that tra trajectory that they're going down the wrong road. And so, and then looking at these other, uh, um, uh, other um, uh, things that have impacted uh, the school to prison pipeline or racial disparities, looking at race and teaching on bias, implicit biases with teachers teaching uh, teachers uh, um, what uh, equity and really what equity is about and what these what disparities are uh, in students and how we how we look at that um, through yes their perspective but also culturally um, really looking at uh, um, uh, supporting and, and having understanding and awareness of culture how do you approach how do you dialogue and so that also goes with the um, uh, open mindset having that open mindset um, to be able to um, look at that approach and how you're approaching uh, the students. And so um, I think these are some tools that can definitely uh, not only dismantle, but again, consistently be able to do away with the school to prison pipeline. All right, Mr. Johnson, would you like to add to that? Yes, I would say that um, school to prison pipeline um, I don't want to say it's 100%, but it, it, it's a lot about zero tolerance policies, mm -hmm. you know, and, 
And the data shows that, you know, like you said before, um, there are certain kids that were getting more discipline than others. So, but when we talk about zero tolerance policies, um, they were being meted out for, for reasons why kids shouldn't be expelled, right? And shouldn't be suspended. But in California, you know, there are some zero tolerance policies that we have to abide by. Right. So if a student is possessing, selling, or furnishing a firearm, brandishing a knife, unlawfully selling a controlled substance, committing or attempting to commit sexual assault or sexual battery or possession of explosive, we must mm -hmm. at that point right. forward with expulsion, right? Right. Um, so it's, 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 it's school districts applying more than that. Right. That could lead to the school to prison pipeline. And we met with NAACP, I want to say a month ago, mm -hmm. um, to kind of talk about the school to prison pipeline. Um, uh, we had, um, we had uh, the district attorney there, um, Merced police was there, probation was there. And we kind of talked about us here in this county, you know, what does a school to prison pipeline look like? And, mm -hmm. and, you know, how can we avoid those things? And, you know, in talking to Juvenile Hall with uh, Chief Rochester, she just said, you know, that's not really happening here. You know, kids aren't ending up in the hall based on what Merced Union High School District is doing with, you know, expulsion and, and suspension. So I would think that, well, I wouldn't rule out a kid obviously ending up <laughs> in, um, in Juvenile Hall for behavior. Um, it's not happening here like it is in other places. Mm. Because I think that we've got principals and a, and a superintendent who is, you know, all about kids. And, um, you know, we, we try to do anything but. But if those things occur, Ed Code says, you know, we shall. Right. So that's, that's kind of what happens, you know, in, in the situation here. So I, I, would, I would say, I read an article the other day that talked about, um, you know, low reading levels leading to the prison pipeline. Yeah, yeah, I remember that coming up in in that meeting. Was it was the literacy rate uh, here? Yeah. That's that's probably the the biggest one of the biggest uh, reasons how they yeah. get on that journey. Yeah. And and by no means are we perfect, but at least we're at the table having a conversation. Yep. You know, we, we're bringing in Andre. Um, you know, we're working on instruction. We're creating CTE pathways. You know, we're we're, we're doing a lot and. And you still have kids fall through the cracks. So, you know, what we're working on now is building a comprehensive MTSS mm -hmm. tier one um, as, you know, as kind of a, a safety net for even for even more kids. So um, the, the work isn't easy. Sometimes it's eyeball touching work, um, like, like Andre talked about. It is, it is, you know, we don't want kids being disciplined based on culture. Sometimes cultural differences end up in discipline. Mm -hmm. For example, kid comes in the classroom, he's talking to everybody, right? Bell rings, he's out of his seat. He's like, hey man, how was your weekend? How's this, how's that? And, you know, and in the student culture, um, you know, being social and talking to your friends is, is sometimes more important than, than sitting down and learning, but, but that's who they are. That is their culture. Sure. Social media, all these things may be just a little bit more important than education. And we need to take the time to explain and correct and not let cultural differences lead to disciplinary action. 
And I think that's, we're sort of that. That sounds like a whole nother podcast we can do about cultural. <laughs> I love that. Um, so you guys have been uh, more than gracious with your time. Um, Mr. Griggs, is there a, a website or something we can po point people towards if they want to learn more about your organization? Uh, yes, it's uh, it's uh, www.restorativejusticeleague.org.org. Restorativejusticeleague.org. All right. Well, I want to thank you both for coming on and, and talking to us. And you know, I look forward to seeing the fruits of your labor uh, in the future. Definitely. Thank you Great. very much. Thank you, Andre. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Impact is a production of the MUHSD Communications Department. For more information about the school district, visit our website, muhsd.org and follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and our handle is at MercedUHSD. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.